Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that's happy to turn its hand to whatever is needed to bring you the most important stories in the property world. And today we're looking at a sector that suffered more than most in the pandemic and asking, is it time for some of London's hotel operators to look at repurposing their assets? We deal fundamentally in the accommodation business, don't we? residential accommodation, hotel accommodation, we talk about senior living. It's owners finding ways to adapt either the buildings that they've got or finding niches and the most valuable use for their property, either within hotels or other uses. I think the big challenge is can you get through the the, the planning conundrum of getting a change of use from a hotel consent to a residential or indeed education student etc. I'm Guy Ruddle and I'm joined by three people who know more about the London market than is healthy. Uh, Let's start with Alex Sturgis. He's a director of Hotel Capital Markets at Savills. He spends his time advising clients on the sale of all sorts of hotel assets. Uh, Alex, welcome to Real Estate Insights. Thank you, Guy. I sounded quite important there for a moment. Thank you very much. (laughs) I've done my job. Uh, (laughs) Oliver Armistead is an associate director in that same Hotel Capital Markets team. He tends to focus on the development side of the sector, working on acquisitions, disposals and viability of developments. Oliver, welcome to you. Thank you, Guy. It's great to be here. And Darren Arnold is joint head of the London Residential Development Land Team. So he'll be telling us why everything should be turned into houses and flats, no doubt. Darren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. So let's get going. Um, Alex, maybe I'll come to you first. And it's a slightly stupid question, I suppose. But why are we talking about the potentially redeveloping hotel assets? I, mean, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is how bad has the last 18 months really been? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on it right at the beginning. Um, We seem to be on the sharp end of what's been going on over the last 18 months. Um, Since the beginning of the pandemic, uh, London hotel performance has been really hit particularly hard. Um, We have learned uh, acutely how important London has been uh, dependent on international travel. And that's both from a leisure and a corporate perspective. And, you know, the, the lack of that influx of, of travel, of guests coming into our capital has really affected the, the performance of those London hotels. And it goes across uh, the spectrum from sort of limited service properties, accommodation driven uh, businesses through to full service hotels. They've all been affected. And what with various different lockdowns, it's been a bit of a stop start process over the last 18 months. And even after all this time and with the understanding restrictions have been recently lifted so that um, leisure properties can resume trade, London is still in the thick of it. So, you know, London has definitely been at the sharp end of that. It's that double whammy, isn't it? You know, we've got occupancy rates of sort of single figure, the single digits up to maybe 25%, which is really awful. But that's it's international travel and corporate travel. It's completely, you know, you couldn't get a, a worse absolutely. situation. Absolutely. I mean, and, and it's amplified by the fact, I think, you know, um, during the, the, this period of time, uh, the vast majority of hotel businesses in London have been closed. Um, and even today, you know, rough estimates suggest that maybe 25 to 50% of those properties are looking to reopen or have opened. So it, it, it's a concern, isn't it? But as trade still remains a challenge, should all of those London hotel properties come about, that those occupancy levels that we're talking about at the moment become under more pressure 
and it, those businesses are, are, are put under more pressure. But there, there has been um, fantastic measures put in place, mechanics put in place, whereby with furlough schemes, with the reduction in VAT, with the suspension of business rates up until June of this year, which has only come back by a third, there have been mechanisms that have provided our owners with with the ability to survive. So uh, at this point in time, we, we, we managed to get by, but we'll have to see how the back end of this year pans out. So, so from that, do I take it that there's not actually all that much financial distress right now? Correct. Uh, we're we we are not getting uh, calls from administrators. We're not getting that official word that business is in in a state whereby uh, there is distress. So w- w- as far as the the turn on the transactional market, there's no doubt that the level of transactional activity in London has been down on previous years. Um, obviously, the incentive to buy again concerned property when the lack of cash flow is evident is not as apparent. But there has been a lack of stock on the market. Um, there is interest in London for sure. There is there is there is interest in our sector, inquisitive interest. But the 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 levels of interest are subdued, and you know the ability to raise funds against transactions is compromised. So we're looking at a lot of sort of cash buyers, and these cash buyers are looking for a discount if they can get it. But there are instances that we're working on at the moment when there are premiums being achieved. So you have to look at it on a case-by-case. Oliver, from the development side of things, is the, is the development going on? Absolutely. Um, there's a number of very high-profile, big schemes that are underway in construction and, and continuing our pace. The likes of Rosewood going into the American Embassy, uh, Admiralty Arch, Old Royal Office, some of the trophy luxury hotels are still slated to come through. Um, according to some of the recent stats, there's over 5,000 hotel rooms that are due to open in the capital this year. And to put that in context, there was roughly 3,000 hotel bedrooms that opened in 2019 and, and roughly another 3,000 that opened in, in 2020. So there's a significant number of rooms that are still slated to open. There's a number of planning applications that are, that are being granted um, right the way across the capital uh, almost all the time. So there really is appetite for development but as Alex was saying it really is on a case-by-case basis and and now more than ever location and the fundamentals are absolutely paramount. I think Ollie as well the impact on the funding side is also proving to be more challenging isn't it as well as the trading hotels development is also something that's come under pressure um, from the lending perspective. Oh absolutely but unlike a trading hotel where it will be uh, funding will be based on a, a multiple of NOI at least with a with a development scheme, it is is fundamentally backed by the value of the of the land and, so and the, the real estate. The, 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 so that that paints a picture for me of a situation where there's plenty of supply coming to the market uh, and probably a lot more the, the, than there is demand. Uh, judging by you know what's happened and and, and and what's likely to happen with us you know with international travel, it's not li- likely to come back in full. Thus, I guess. Uh, the, the idea that some people, perhaps not the, the prime new hotels, but some people need to be looking at, at repurposing their, their assets, right? Absolutely. And, you know, with, with, a, with a lens on London, it's such an assortment of, of real estate. You could be looking in parts of sort of Lancaster Gate and Bayswater and Earls Court, what traditionally are sort of um, Victorian Edwardian terraces, 
where they've been converted into boutique hotels, townhouse hotels, where ultimately, uh, originally, they were residential properties. So you can't ignore the fact that at the moment they're not producing income or the income they were producing. And uh, there are the, the really positive underlying fundamentals of London real estate and, and, and the suggestion of repurposing, whether to residential, potentially student accommodation, healthcare, is it, is it could be an option and it's something we're exploring. And I think definitely seeing that in, in developments as well, where, you know, historically there may have been development sites that have been overcomplicated, overspecced, too many bedrooms or, or, or too many basements that are now not as viable to go ahead uh, in locations that are maybe not quite as key for, for hotels. And that's why other uses such as student, co-living, co-working, residential are, are, are becoming very popular in the market. Darren, you're the residential man. You're, you, you understand that market better than the rest of us. Uh, are you crying out for, for, for capacity? Yeah, we're, we're craving stock, actually. The, <clears throat> on the flip side to my uh, learning colleagues across the table here who have been having a little bit of a tough time of it the last, uh, the last few months, actually, we've been having a good time. And the, the London land market has been really robust and really resilient over the course of the last 18 months. And I think our, our problem is, is actually the availability of stock. Um, and that's right through, through zones one through six. Um, I mean, last year we transacted, um, believe it or not, during 2020, 61 London land deals uh, within the capital, uh, just under a billion pounds worth of land value transacted. The only thing holding us back at the moment is that availability of, of stock and, and people are craving new opportunities. I think the big challenge for, for the residential market is, and, and certainly with an eye on, on hotels and hotel sites that might be consented, is can you get through the, the, the planning conundrum of getting a change of use from a hotel consent to a residential or indeed education, student, etc.? Uh, and so the the, the planning uh, the planning sphere for us is the biggest hurdle. Um, if the planning system freed up a little bit, um, then we would absolutely have the capacity and, and the and the buyers uh, the pool of buyers at the table to come and buy these types of assets. And, and that's think- absolutely key because you know part of the London plan there's still that requirement for so many new hotel rooms coming into the market mm. and also there's the employment aspect that hotels bring uh, and so for local authorities that may be having a loss of both of those aspects it does become more more complicated especially to a residential angle as opposed to maybe something else with employment use yeah use I mean, we, we, we have to pick our boroughs you know there is there are certain boroughs within london that well, there is a protection protectionist policy for, for hotels and we understand the reasons why and therefore it's choosing the boroughs that perhaps a little bit more uh, free and easy on their on their planning policies and that really i suppose pushes us uh, further out, it pushes it to, to, to the likes of zones two, three, where actually there's really, really strong depth of, depth of demand. But it's, all, it's also getting the right planning consent, isn't it? Because mm. it's easy enough to say hypothetically you can go from a, a C1 hotel use into residential. But with that analogy of the, the sort of Victorian terrace, originally there were single dwellings. We're not really to convert back to sort of the, a, a house. We're, we're looking for apartments. Mm. So it, it's very site-specific, isn't it? And, and, and it's how you get the right consent that awards that premium so you, Darren, can find that that land buyer that mm. produces the value that we need. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I think it goes hand in hand with student and healthcare because a lot, a lot of these purpose-built hotels 
maybe more in the limited service, Ollie would know more than I, but the, the footplate of those existing properties could lend themselves um, better, say, student accommodation, the layout would work better. Absolutely. So, so it's very site-specific. And as you say, hotel products, so for some of those smaller rooms, they may become too small to do anything with. There's a sort of sweet spot in that limited service space that, that works for, for student or co-living. And then it's more of that apart hotel service department size unit that works better for, for more core residential product. Which has strangely done relatively well over the last 12 months. So the apart hotel market, which is less intensive on staff and cost, there's more flexibility there with the owners to control that cost base. And it's, it's, it's emerging as a more lucrative part of our hotel sector. I can see how, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, for a bear of very little brain like me, that, you know, a sort of a, a, a larger hotel turned into student accommodation or, uh, or, or residential makes sense. Uh, the smaller hotels, I mean... I mean, we've talked a little bit about them in terms of, you know, uh, Notting Hill, Labrick Grove or wherever we were saying, but those those smaller ones, are there other things that they could be used for? You know, we're talking about residential, but it doesn't, does it have to be residential if they're going to turn into something else? No, not, not at all. I mean, it, it, we trade all sorts of different assets, you know, from, from £1 million up to 100, £150 million. And actually, uh, it could well be a it could be a residential developer. Equally, it be good for someone for co living. Equally, it might be a charity looking for a, a new HQ or an institutional. Um, so, uh, you know, there are. I mean, we have a, we have an asset in the market at the moment in Northwest London uh, that is in a hotel use class. Alex is in is involved in the transaction. Uh, it, it could open itself to residential, to boutique hotel, to institutional, to educational, to dementia care or care. So actually, it, it, we shouldn't just pigeonhole these assets to residential. It's it's trying to get the best value for our clients. And 95% of what I do is disposal for vendors and a mixture of. It's how we get the best consideration for them. How we get these perhaps hotel owners that might be in a bit of financial pressure uh, how we get themselves out of uh, how we help them get that out of that situation yeah i've just had a sort of a, 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 a blinding glimpse of the future actually when you when you said residential care uh, it, it two thoughts occurred to me at the same time one is that that market that's got to, that, you know there's going to be a massive increase in demand for that so that's got to be a good thing but boy that must be complicated turning a hotel into a residential home or or, or something yeah, I mean, huge wall of capital, A, chasing residential, but chasing retirement living, chasing care. Equally, at the other end of the spectrum, actually, there's an awful lot of money that, that chasing uh, day nurseries, you know, kids in kind- kindergarten. So it's either end of the spectrum. Um, but actually, it, it's amazing the, the, the facilities that you can create out of existing central London buildings. Yeah. Um, and especially that conversion from hotels to something like senior care or other uh, buildings along that healthcare spectrum, it's a similar sort of product. It's, mm. it's a bedroom product that is secure with either communal areas, you know, existing hotel restaurants and bars and conference space that can be converted into other forms of care for the residents of those buildings. So there's a lot of similarities. And that's why between that and then student, it's exactly the same. It, it's beds. With public areas, wow. it's and, so and, interesting. And, and big, sorry. sorry to cut across you. No, a bit, bit big chat about co-living at the moment. Absolutely, you know, and that's a that's a real hybrid between student on one hand and hotel on the other. 
its rooms, its communal facilities, its cinema rooms, etc. Huge amount of chat about it. But again, planning feeds into all Such of this. Such a grey area at the moment. There are, there are boroughs that, that don't recognise co-living and there are other boroughs that, that will do and you have to pigeonhole you know, in, in those boroughs. It's just fascinating that, that we deal fundamentally in the accommodation business, don't we? Residential accommodation, hotel accommodation, we talk about senior living. And for, for such a long time, hotels were revered as such a fast-moving market, the evolution of the product, the branding, etc. But, you know, as, as you talk now about healthcare, senior living, and you go to see some of these innovative sort of properties that now take on the guys. I mean, you could walk into one now. You could, you, you, you could be walking into a full-service hotel. Mm-hmm. The amenities they provide, the luxury in the rooms, the synergies that they and, – and, and again, it's all about uh, how that – part of the market is evolving so quickly how competitive it is and fundamentally in london it's the land values that drive the feasibility behind whether these develops developments get done or not um and this is why this is such an interesting time well there was a there was a moment in time wasn't there you know if we if we wind the clock back a few years in central london residential would win hands down every time you ran a residual appraisal and then actually the hotel world began to pick up and the hotel uh, market was was winning the residual appraisal. And we're now back in flipping into that situation where residential takes or, or retirement. Or, or takes. even hybrids yeah, of, of, of the yeah. two. That there's yeah. synergies across all these sort of specialist investment mm-hmm. sectors. And that's the adaptability of also hotels and everything within the C1 space. And as you mentioned, Alex, the more emergence of apart hotels and, and extended stay living but it's also the regrowth of of hostels and good branded hostels not the the ones that are are, are stigmified by stag and hendus but actually good quality hostels at a decent price point in good locations and it's it's owners finding ways to adapt either the buildings that they've got or finding niches and the most valuable um use for their property either within hotels or other uses but as i say timing is everything and this is such an interesting point in time where due to the challenges that we're facing particularly in the hotel sector the discussion is very much on the table isn't it uh, and we come back to that repurposing and the optionality behind it well i think by with the with, by the simple expediency of of talking about it at a reasonably high level we've solved the problem completely uh, between between ourselves uh, without delving into the in, into the complexities of actually delivering it, uh, which is great. But we can't go without doing the traditional Savile standout statistic. Uh, I hope you're all prepared a Savile standout stat, just a little nugget of something uh, that will uh, sort of shine a little bit of extra light on the subject. Uh, has everybody got a Savile standout stat? Can I go first? Because if somebody gets my stat... I'm in trouble. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so apparently, apparently, hotel investment volumes reached £1.7 billion in the first half of this year, uh, almost 60 transactions. While if you compare that to uh, the five-year average pre-pandemic, it was just over £2.4 billion. Now, that's excellent, Alex. Uh, Oliver, what about you? What's your stat? So... If, and this is a a very big if, and there's a lot of caveats that go along with this, but according to the data and what's currently in various stages of planning, if all of the hotel bedrooms that are currently in planning get delivered, then there'll be a 37% increase in bedrooms in London. That's going to be some cheap room nights coming down the road if that all happens. Um, uh, Where does that leave us? Oh, just Darren, actually. We haven't done you, Darren. Darren, what's your Savile standout stat today? 
Well, my my stat is actually sounds really disappointing compared with the uh, compared with the boys here, and uh, you know I touched earlier about the, the stat about uh, us exchanging sixty one land deals last year and just over a billion pounds worth of, of land transacted. But you, to put that in context, and you know twenty twenty was supposed to be a terrible year, and and it sure was a terrible year for an awful lot of people, and we're so lucky to be in the property industry and have a market with us. But to put that in context, the 2019, we transacted 48 sites and actually only half a million, uh, half a, uh, 500 million pounds worth of land. So actually for a terrible year last year, it was actually very good. Um, but uh, my, my stat doesn't pale, it pales into insignificance in, in relation to, uh, to I'd like Alex. To claimed, I'd like to have claimed it done. Yeah, a Some billion transactions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen, that's uh, that's fantastic. It all, it's all, I love the Savile Standout stat. It always throws up some fascinating things. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much indeed for your wisdom as well. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to, to that conversation as much as taking part in it. That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If you want to delve deeper into this topic, there's plenty more on the new hotel page, the Savile's hotel page, savile's.co.uk slash sectors slash hotels although when i tried it i just put savills.co.uk slash hotels and it seemed to work just fine you'll find news research reports properties etc all sorts of things there so do uh, do go and have a look in the meantime thank you very much for listening and see you next time this podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.